Please be seated. Welcome to everybody uh, to Palm Sunday at Eastridge, or the first week of spring break, first day of spring break, which hopefully Palm Sunday is a bigger deal to you. Um, and uh, my name is Pastor Dwayne, and uh, if you're guests with us, we are very glad you're here. Next week, we expect to have a lot of guests with us, so I just want us all to be aware of that and uh, reach out and, you know, even if you reach out and shake hands, are, are you new here? And they say, no, I've been here for four years. That's okay. Just, you know, make sure you connect with people next week. Um, and I'm uh, going to give a little commercial of something that's going to happen after Easter. Uh, you know, today is the uh, last episode of the Welcome to Wonderland series, where they're entering the Promised Land. And in our reading in uh, Love This Book, we're transitioning along with them to a kind of a different era, a different part of the story of God's story. And by the way, Love This Book is a reading through the Bible together. If you haven't started it and you're thinking, man, I should have started that, you can. Just start right where we are. Just start with the reading plan right today uh, and... You can uh, do that, and you can catch up the other stuff later, but you don't need to go read through the whole f first five books of the Bible or anything like that. So, uh, but anyway, after Easter, we're going to uh, start a series uh, called Pack Your Bags. And it's not because I want you to pack your bags and move out of here, okay? I've seen how you look at other pastors, but I mean, the thing is, I, it, it's about transitioning. It's about changing. It's about those life passages that we all go through. Right? And so if you know you're going to have those moments in your life where you're kind of standing on the shores of the, uh, the Jordan River and you're going to have a, a, a different area of your life and things are going to be different, you know that's going to be happening. Why not prepare ahead of time for it? If you were going on a trip or an adventure, you would, right? So uh, that's what uh, Pack Your Bags is all about. In fact, today leads into it just absolutely perfectly, as I said, because we're going to be starting in the book of Joshua today, the sixth book uh, of the Bible. Um, and just to kind of get us started, I want you to think about those passages in life, those transitions in life, those moments, even the spiritual moments, you know, that they take a little bit of extra courage because you don't know what's up ahead exactly. Even when God tells us in his word what's up ahead, uh, to some degree, we don't fully know, right? Because we don't have all the answers and it takes some courage. I mean, you, you think of things like... Um, when you, when you become a Christian, we don't, we don't talk about this very much, but if you're a, a Christian, a Jesus follower, and probably most of us are, remember that moment before, just before you said, okay, Jesus, I give, I'm all in with you, and you put your faith in Christ. Remember that moment? I mean, it was sort of like, yeah, but what are my friends going to think? What's my family going to think? How is this going to be different? It was just, it took a little bit of courage to get over the line. Now, immediately, uh, in, in most cases, God kind of brings a sense of, ah, oh, yes, this is right. This is, this is the thing. But you know, it took courage, right? When, when you're in your, um, in your um, business or in your job, you, you, you know, make that proposal, man. It's the proposal that could change everything. It takes some courage. When you, when you decide to get married, it takes some courage to ask. When you decide not to get married, that takes courage. Uh, when, you do, you, when you get married and you have kids, you have your first kid. Well, actually, when you have your second kid, that takes courage, Right? Um, or even when you die. I haven't done it yet, but I'm pretty sure it takes some courage. I mean, it's not that you have anything to do with it or that I'm going to have anything that I can do to change it, but it's, it's that sense of what's past. I mean, it takes some courage to believe that what we've heard about, because we don't know exactly what eternity is like. I mean, we get some hints, some pretty good hints in the Bible. But think about this. Even if we are all here when Jesus comes back and we hear the trumpet and all that kind of stuff, Still going to take some courage. 
Okay, it's the big one. It's the earthquake. No, no, it's not. It's Jesus. Come, oh, you know, just going to take some courage. And, and see, the thing is, is why should there be moments in my life when we're uncomfortable and need some courage, right? I mean, because that's sort of antithetical to postmodern thinking, the postmodern mind that's in the air that we all breathe, right? Because, I mean, comfort is the new happiness, if you will. Right? It's the, if, if it's the new ethic, it's the new thing. If God is a good God, isn't it his job to make sure I'm comfortable all the time? If God is, is a good God, isn't it his job to make sure everything works out okay and that I all know ahead of time so I can just kind of cruise through? Isn't, that the, isn't there a pill I can take instead of having to buck up and have some courage? Isn't, isn't there a prayer I can pray? That's sort of the attitude and the mentality. And yet, if you look at history, you look at the Bible, but just look at history. Look at our own country. Those moments when things transitioned and, and things uh, moved forward and things, you know, people really made a difference. I mean, think of the founding fathers signing their names to the Declaration of Independence. They knew, you know, give me liberty or give me life. They knew they were putting their lives on the line there. And if the, the enemy caught them, they were toast. Or uh, think of the greatest generation. We have some of those people in our church. I call them the Georges because two of them are named George. They were around during World War II right? And I, I hear their stories, and I listen to them, and why they made the decisions they made, and I go, man, we could use some of that. They had some courage, and thank, thanks to them, we don't do the goose step. We don't do the Hitler salute or anything else. You know what I mean, thanks to that generation, you know, things are different than they, they would have been. Or, or uh, take uh, next week, we're going to remember the uh, death of a very important person in our country. 50 years ago, Martin Luther King, on April 4th. Imagine being him in the beginning of the movement of civil rights and saying, okay, all my African-American friends, all of our people, all the people that want to join us of whatever color your skin is, we're going to protest, we're going to do this march, we're going to, and by the way, we are not going to latch back. We are not going to do anything violent. Even if violence comes to us, we're not going to do it. I mean, imagine that. There's no way to protect ourselves? No. There's no way to, to push back? No. You know? I mean, he had no idea if it was even going to work. I mean, boy, how did he did it? But at that point, he had no idea, right? Took some courage, some real courage. You see, I think that's the moment we're in. That's the historical moment we're in as a country, as a city, as, and yes, even as a church, maybe on a smaller scale, much smaller scale. But maybe in your life, you're one of those kind of standing on the edges of what's next and entering the promised land or picking up that new promise that God, you, you kind of had this sense he's working in you, but you got to take that step to, to enter, you know, sign up for that ministry or do that thing or, or enter that relationship or whatever it is, right? Maybe that's, that's where you're at right now. It's certainly where the biblical story is at that we've been reading through. It's certainly where we've come to in God's story. And it's, it's where Joshua is. I'll invite you to turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 1, if you've got your Bibles. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. There's some Bibles back there, too, uh, if you need one. But uh, let me just tell you what's going on in Joshua, chapter 1. It's the sixth book of the Bible, so it's, it's the first book after the Pentateuch, five Remember we talked about that last week? The first five books of the Bible that set the stage for everything else is the Pentateuch. And then um, Joshua is on the verge, along with the Israelites, of a new era, a completely different thing. They're on the verge of entering the promised land that has been promised for so long. They're at the end of this wandering around for 40 years in the desert, right? 
they can, if they, all they got to do is cross this river because they're on the east side on what's called the plains of Moab on the east side of the Jordan River. And oh, by the way, it's flood season. It's in the fall. So it's flood season and this river is 90 to 100 feet wide and it's a torrent of, of just tons of water shooting its way down to the Dead Sea. And they're standing on the east side of that. Canaan and the Promised Land is on the other side of that river, on the west side. And oh, by the way, there's a group of nasty, wild, pretty intense, warrior-like people called the Canaanites over there. And so they're standing here, so are we going to believe God for this? What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? And by the way, uh, Joshua, it's all on your shoulders. You're the new leader because Moses is gone. And here's what God says, and here's what happens. Beginning of verse 1 of Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them. So look how many times God says I in the, uh, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as pro- I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Pretty much focusing on himself, which is okay because he's God. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to your ancestors to give them. So now this is Joshua's team. You know, Joshua had climbed the mountain with, with Moses. He'd seen some crazy things as Moses' protege. He'd been there and, and seen all these awesome things uh, that, that Moses had just kind of brought him along on and brought him along for. And he was one of the tw- two spies of the 12 spies, remember, that said, hey, let's go take the promised land before the 40 years even happened. And so, but now it's on him. Now it's on his shoulders. But what God seems to be saying here is it's not just you, Joshua. It's all these people. Notice verse 2. In fact, when it says these people again in verse 6, the Hebrew actually means all these people. In other words, it's not just the leaders. Today we would say it this way. Everybody's a minister. Everybody's a disciple. Everybody's got something that God is doing in their life ministry-wise. Everybody takes this step of faith. The leader leads, yes, but everybody takes this step of faith. Everybody comes to the shore of the Jordan River, in, in a sense, on the other side, you know, the, you, you get, but you got to cross. You got to have the courage to do what God's asking you to do. Everybody comes to moments like that, even Christians, especially Christians, from time to time. And the thing is, is what God is saying here is, he's, I, I'll do this. I'll do this. I'll do this. I'm not asking you to do this. I will do this, right? It made me think of this this week when I, when I was reading this passage. I was thinking about that prayer request I had for you at the end last week to pray on Tuesday for the Supreme Court. And some of us were talking about it in the lobby earlier. Uh, the Supreme Court uh, had a hearing, and one, uh, on Tuesday morning they're having their hearings. They won't make any decisions until June, but keep praying. But one of the, hear- one of the uh, cases they heard on Tuesday morning was um, for this law against trans- planned pregnancy centers in, uh, I mean, sorry, planned pregnancy, I knew I was going to do that, uh, pregnancy resource centers in uh, California. 
Uh, it, it's really been developed by Planned Parenthood, but it, it really is to, meant to shut down Christian ministries, any religious ministry that gives women any other alternative when they're pregnant other than having an abortion. That's the goal, because here's what they have to do. As soon as a woman walks in the door, they can't do an ultrasound. They can't say, welcome, happy, happy to have you here. They can't say, here's what we do for you. The first thing they have to say by this law is, oh, by the way, are you sure you want to be here? Because you can have an abortion. The address for the abortion doctor closest to us is right over there, and the government will pay for it if you do it. So basically, they're just trying to shut the whole thing down. Well, this was heard. Uh, they've tried to do this, by the way, in Oregon a couple times, but it didn't make it out of committee. But this was heard before the justices. And what's interesting is all that have been reading the reports for the, the lawyers for the plaintiffs and so forth, they're very pleased. You can never tell what the men in black are going to do, men and women in black. But all the lawyers for the plaintiffs for the, for the pregnancy resource centers uh, are, were very pleased because even the people that were left-leaning on the court were saying, like, how does this not shut down their free speech? How is this not bigoted against them? I mean, they were using words like that. Pretty cool, right? Eh? But who knows? But the thing is, is really, we can get as political as we want to, but the thing is, is that it's still in God's hands. And that, I think, is what he's reminding Joshua here. I'm asking you to do this, but it's in my hands. In fact, all Joshua needs to do, and all you and I really need to do, is remember the meaning of Joshua's name. I want to show you how the Bible holds together here. Joshua is the Old Testament form of a Hebrew word, or Hebrew name, Yeshua, which guess what Yeshua means in the New Testament? Guess what in the Greek language Yeshua sounds like? Jesus. And it means the Lord saves. Which is why when the angel comes to Joseph, Jesus' earthly father in Matthew chapter 1, he says, you will name him Jesus because the Lord will save his people from their sins. Joshua, uh, sorry, Joseph knew exactly what he was talking about, what that angel was talking about. Because that's the meaning. See how the Bible holds together? And, and, and that's what, what I think God is, is reminding uh, Joshua of, because he keeps telling him, I'll do this, I'll do it. You just need to be strong. You just need to be courageous. And there's another theme here that we need to understand in these first six verses to help us be courageous. And that is when he talks in verse one about Moses, my servant is dead, but verse two, uh, you're now my servant, basically is what, what that's saying to Joshua. You see, the whole concept of the servant of the Lord was a huge thing in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the servant of the Lord is the person that God spoke through, that God did all these things through. I mean, you have a servant of the Lord after servant of the Lord after servant of the Lord all the way through uh, the, the, the God's story in the Older Testament. But in the New Testament, Jesus radicalizes it. He takes it not as a, just a servant, as one person. He spreads it out to anybody who follows me. Anybody who will meet, know, and truly follow me, anybody who's my disciple gets to be not just my servant, but he replaces the word with another word. Look at this from John 15, verses 13 to 15. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I have learned from my father, I've made known to you. I don't have any secrets, nothing behind the counter here, no magic tricks. You're my friends. That's, I think, what, 
what God is essentially saying to Joshua too, because remember in Exodus 33, um, Moses is up on Sinai and Joshua is hearing this stuff. God says, hey, you're my friend, one with whom I will speak face to face, right? And then the implication here is that, yes, Joshua, now you're my friend, but Jesus is saying, hey, I'm opening the doors. I'm, I'm rejecting the whole idea that you're my servants. You're my friends. That's a whole different thing. But in, in our day and age, we, we got to kind of pull back here and say, well, what, is, what does that exactly mean? What does it mean to be your friends? Because the reality is, is that we, we, hear, we hear friend and we think, ah, oh, Jesus is our buddy. He's not our buddy, but he is our friend. I mean, think about these disciples in John 15. This is the night just before Jesus is arrested and goes to trial and is crucified, which we will look at uh, or we'll be considering and meditating on on Friday, Right? That's, that was that moment. They didn't know exactly what it was going to happen. It was, gonna, it was about in just a few hours to take a lot of courage to call Jesus your friend. This wasn't just, hey, uh, he's my friend, dude. You know, it wasn't one of those things. It was, there was a sense of ominousness. The, the disciples didn't really know what was going to happen, but they could hear their beat of the drums, and it didn't sound so good. All right? but you're my friends. I want you to stick with that and I will be with you, just like he's saying to Joshua. You see, here's what I think God wants us to understand about his friendship with us. God wants to be your ever-present, if awesome, friend. Let me explain what I mean by awesome friend. It's not like you're awesome, man. It's not one of those. It means a sense of, you know, kind of, a little bit of shake, a little bit of holy awe. That's what it means. See, there's nowhere else, no one else with whom this applies uh, to where you can take the idea of someone who's deeply, intimately caring for you and a friend and awesome and way beyond you and could scare you to death if he wasn't your friend all at the same time. And I think we need to recapture some of that. That kind of God is our friend because that's the kind of God I want to follow who can take care of whatever it is up front because I have no idea what's up. And even in God's good future, I don't know what's going to take courage and what's not. So I want a friend who can take care of that, right? Don't you? I, I was thinking about this this last week. I'm, uh, if you're a country music fan, don't be offended by what I'm about to say, okay? But I've never really been a country music fan. My dad was a huge one. I guess maybe that's why I went the other way. But... Uh, I'm start, at this late age, I'm starting to think my dad might have known something. Because, you know, the world, the crazier it gets and the weirder the entertainment gets and the junkier music gets, the more I'm kind of drawn to country music. Because there's values there, right? I mean, it, it, it's sort of like, um, you know, the old, the old expression is, is in country music, you lose your wife, you lose your house, you lose your dog, you lose your, lose your life, you lose your, 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 uh, your job, Right? But by the end of the song, you get your job back, you get your life back, you get your dog back, you get your wife back, you know, that kind of thing. It's kind of, some of them are like that. But then there's this whole undercurrent of traditional values under there that it's like, oh, yeah, you know what, I can listen. And sometimes, even on national TV at the Country Music Awards, they talk about God. Isn't that crazy? So anyway, but that's not where I was going with this. This is a rabbit trail. Uh, that's just a reason, that's the reason why when I saw a story about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, about Tim McGraw, the country singer. About, he was in a concert a couple weeks ago, and he, had, uh, he just had this fainting spell or something. He sat down on, on a, uh, 
an amplifier on the stage or something, and he just fainted and passed out and fell on the floor. And everybody's, you know, thousands of people. They pick him up and take him off. And then his wife comes out, who is Faith Hill, right, a country singer in her own right. I think she's his manager now. She comes out and says, it's okay, Tim's all right. We're trusting him in the hands of God. And see, see, they talk about God. And, and it's going to be all right. We just, sorry, we're going to have to close the concert down. You can get your money back or whatever she said. But then she ended the concert and said, I just want to share something of our gift with you by singing one song for you. So she sang, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, a cappella. Good song, good hymn, right? And I guess she really knocked it out because everybody was just like, that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Yeah, put the cowboy hat back on, let's go. I mean, that, that was a really a significant moment of overlaying peace by saying, Jesus what a friend you're having. But at the same time, I've thought to myself from time to time when I've sung that song, I think maybe we should sing it like, what a friend we have in Jesus, right? Because he's not our buddy. <laughs> it's like, wow, what a friend we have in, in, in Jesus. You see, God wants to be your ever-present friend, but it's an awesome kind of friend. In fact, think about this. If, let's go back to Joshua now. Think about Joshua and think about if you have a friend, if you have any other friend that would ask you to do what this friend, God, is asking Joshua to do. He's asking them, him to lead people across this river that is three to ten feet deep right now, and there's so much water trying to get its way down to the Dead Sea that it's just choppy and it's turbulent and it's spinning out of control, and you're supposed to get it. I mean, how are you supposed to get the ark across there to begin with? God says, you just do it, you stick your feet in the water. And look what happens when they do that in uh, uh, Joshua chapter 3, oh, beginning of verse 14. It says, so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is a, at flood stage all during harvest, in this harvest season in the fall. Yet as soon as the priests who carry the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam, or Adam, in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Dead Sea, or the, the, the Sea of Arabah, which is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite of Jordan. <laughs> First challenge to leadership. First challenge to, are you going to trust God? I mean, why all the detail here? Well, here's why. I'll tell you why. Adam of Zarephan is about 18 miles upstream, which means when the water started piling up there, after the priests had stuck their feet in the water who were carrying this ark, you know, it, was, it took a long time for the water to stop. So here's what I'm imagining happened. They stick their feet in the water, and it's like, okay, God, part the water. What are we going to do? Okay, well, let's go a little deeper. Okay, well, we're up to our knees. We're up to our thighs. We're up to our waist. I don't know. Maybe it got up to their chest before the water stopped flowing. And it's like, this is getting... Joshua, are you sure this is what he said? Yeah, keep going. Keep going. Right? I mean, it, take, it took a tremendous amount of courage even in that moment. And sometimes that's the way it is when God wants to make, fulfill his promises to us. When God wants us to move forward, it takes that kind of of courage. It takes that kind of courageous faith, if you. Why is it? Why does God let us get in those spots like that? I'm glad you asked that, because look at verse 7 through 8. Be strong and very courageous. 
Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So now he said, be strong and courageous about three times, right? Be strong and courageous. And when we hear that, we, you know, parents don't do this so much anymore because I know parents, you know, uh, have been taught to do sort of the helicopter parenting and making sure their kids never have a problem or a challenge that they would have to face. But in my parents' generation, it wasn't that way, right? I'd come home from a fight, skinned up my knee or whatever, which, you know, the fights did happen from time to time. I was the shortest kid in my block, but I could do it. But anyway, so I'd come home and I'd be crying or whining about something. And I, I can remember a few times my mom or my dad saying, hey, just buck up. You're fine. You're not going to die. But mom, I'm five years old. I mean, it's, but you know, I mean, there was a sort of a tough, and, and I, over the years, and then later on, I finally realized, hey, they just wanted me to be able to fix, address the challenges of life. They didn't want to do anything. They knew I was going to be okay, but they wanted me to get through this so that I could learn how to get through the really important, bigger challenges and stuff, right? And so it's more like that with which God, I think, is saying this to Moses. And because we don't learn that even in our faith and because our culture is such a culture, comfort, um, insistent culture, and we breathe that air in, Sometimes I think that's the reason we have such flat faith. Because we have never learned to have that kind of courage in, the, in these moments. And, and God is basically doing that with uh, Joshua. And he even tells him where it's going to come from. It doesn't need to come from within you, Joshua. Because I want to put something in you that's going to give you that courage. What is that something? That something is the law of Moses, the book of the law, which is his Bible, which is the first five books. Right? It's the, it's the teaching that Moses brought down, the Ten Commandments, and the teaching that they'd already been given. That was what he said. You study that, and you meditate on that. And I, you know, imagine Joshua. It's like, okay, you're going to study and meditate on Leviticus and the end of Exodus and Deuteronomy and all that. You're going to study and, and meditate on the, 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 the laws that have been taught and teaching and, 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 and develop that. You see, here's the thing. We focus a lot on forgiveness of sins, that it's free. And that's right, it should be, because it, it, we could not have bought and paid for our sin. We could not have bought ourselves back. We could not have redeemed ourselves, just like we talked about last week. So you are freely forgiven, but to move into God's good future takes courageous trust. And so God says, in order to give you that courageous trust, I want you to experience something that will give you the sense of peace, that will give you the sense of, yeah, God's got this. And that something is my word, the Scripture, the Bible. In fact, remember when we went through Psalm, uh, the Psalms last year? We started with Psalm 1. And we said that Psalm 1 is a psalm that unlocks all the other psalms. In a, in a very real way, it unlocks the whole Bible, all of God's story. In fact, Psalm 1 unlocks the whole Christian life in many ways. Watch this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners nor sit in the company of mockers, but those who delight in the law of the Lord, who spend time with it, and who meditate on his law day and night, that person will be like a tree planted by streams of water, 
which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. What does verse 3 sound like to you? It sounds like wonderland to me. It sounds like Eden on steroids to me. That you'll have a life that wherever you go, you are an oasis. Because you've got water. You've got sustenance. No matter what, no matter how dry or difficult the place is you go, you'll have it. And that what that sounds like to you? I mean, that's what I think he's talking about. He's saying, basically, that the Bible is designed to be wonderland until Jesus comes back. There's no place on this earth that is, is Eden yet, completely. There's no place, but there's, there's a book that is. You get your heart and your mind in it. What I'm saying to you is, it's this sense of, ah, oh, God's Word. Have you felt that yet? Have you ever experienced that yet? I remember, uh, I thought about this a couple weeks ago when I was at Wheaton College. I was walking by Edmund Chapel, which is this huge auditorium, which is their chapel. And uh, it was there, right up front, and just about 100 people, that I was the one and only time I got to meet Francis Schaeffer and hear him speak personally, in person. Um, and uh, we, we'd heard that he was going to be at Wheaton. Sharon and I were living in Chicago at the time. We drove out there. And, and if you don't know who Francis Schaeffer is, which, you know, he died in the early 80s, but for my generation, for the hippie generation, I wasn't a hippie, I was too young. Uh, I tried to be, but I, I, they didn't let me in the club. Um, and, but older brothers and sisters, you know, were of other people, and, and that was the generation that, you know, went one way, and we see a lot of that result today, but then there was a whole chunk of that generation who, there was a real revival in that time. There was a real, a bunch of people coming to God, coming to Christ, okay? And, and so it was, it was during that time that Francis Schaeffer was really the pastor of those people. And he was a funny guy. I mean, he lived in the Swiss Alps. He was, a, he was a brilliant philosopher and a theologian and a pastor, all boiled into one. He invited the, the world's greatest, some of the world's greatest intellectuals from Oxford and Harvard and all this, and they would just spend time with them. And many of them had their questions answered to the point that they gave their lives to Christ, and many of them are, are still doing ministry today in the world, okay? So he was a pretty big deal on the scene, and he was instrumental in my life just from the books he wrote. Some of those books helped me come to Christ, Okay, that's what I became a Christian because of that. So I wanted to see Francis Schaeffer. So I went, and I, I honestly don't remember anything he said. I just remember looking at him and seeing him. And I remember that he wore knickers that were kind of funny looking. And I remember thinking that he's shorter than I thought he was. And I remember his beard. But that one thing I remember him saying is he picked up his Bible. And he was, by the way, dying of colon cancer at this time. Picked up his Bible and said, you know, I love this book. And he says, I want, what I'm about to tell you, I just want you to understand, this is not an idolatry thing. This is pages and ink and print. It's not a magical thing. It's not a superstitious thing. It's a peace thing. You know, I, I lay it on my bedside, on my end table, at the side of my bed. And at night when I wake up and I'm anxious, I just reach over and I touch it. And I always pray, God, thank you for your word. It's not going anywhere. It will never go away. And he says, immediately, a peace comes right over me. Like, oh, I think that's what the psalmist is talking about. That that's what I want you to have, God says. That's what I want you to have. Your pastor does. Your church wants you. That's why we're doing Love This Book. It's not, it's not to get you into the Bible so that you'll give more or serve more. Although, if you start following Jesus, you just might. 
but it's, and it's not to try to manipulate you or sneak one in on you or get you kind of to do what everybody else does. No, it's because we want you to have that awe of the Word of God. Because when you get that peace, you know what the result is of spending time in promised land right here? What the result is ultimately is what sometimes people call in a non-religious sense a non-anxious presence with a capital P in this case. That the presence of God that he puts himself in us and I will be with you. So because of that, be strong and courageous. I, seriously, I think that's what God is asking Joshua and thereby asking all of us as we read his word to experience with him. But there's one more thing that God says to him, which is sort of repetitive. It's sort of a summary, but it's, it, it, there's, there's some, something new in here I want you to see. He says, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Th- think about this just for a second. Why is it <clears throat> that God asks for courage? Well, courage is very close to faith. Have you thought about that? It's not faith by itself. Because you can be courageous without faith. But it's, this kind of faith, courage is very close to faith. Believing God, what God says and he promises, is very close to faith. It's very much like when in the New Testament when Jesus is going around to towns and he can't do miracles in certain sounds. Why? Because they don't have faith. They don't recognize that he is who he is. They don't recognize who it is that is with them. Now he's there, but they have no clue and they're not feeling a thing about it. They have no idea. So it's, it's sort of like, it's that kind of courageous faith and belief. And, and ask yourself, why would God insist on that? Here's why God insists on that kind of courage and courageousness. It's because he's more concerned about your transformation and my transformation and my becoming more like his son, Jesus. He's more concerned with that than he is with our comfort. He's more concerned with the relationship that we have with him than that we have all of our answers to all of our questions done. And oh, by the way, in your good future, God, can you just tell me exactly like a roadmap, exactly what's going to happen next week and tomorrow and so forth and so on? Can you just lay that all out? Because then I can follow you. But that doesn't take any faith, does it? So he's more concerned with the relationship and the, that we would believe in him and have that relationship with him than he is in answering all our questions. I thought about this a lot in terms of eternity, too. Um. I used to think this, maybe you've used this line, you know, there's a lot of questions we have, God, why do you do this, and what's about that? And oftentimes I would say, um, and there's nothing wrong with saying this, I don't, I don't think, it's just, it's just kind of a thing that we do nowadays in modern day Christianity. You say, well, I don't know the answer to that, but when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him, right? I got all my list of questions that I'm going to ask him. And then about 10 years ago, I thought about that, and I thought, wait a minute, wait, wait. When I get to heaven, I'm not going to give a flying hooey about my list of questions about what's going on here on earth. I mean, I'm going to be with him right there. What's the difference? His real presence. And what God is saying, what Jesus is saying, is I will really, truly be with you. You see, here's the final principle that I think this verse is talking about. You only have courage to move forward into God's good future when you are convinced that he is with you. Have you noticed 
in the Bible, there's a, sort of a famous last words that God has. I mean, at almost every transition, whether it be entering the promised land, whether it be, you know, uh, Abraham, you go into, uh, you, you leave Ur of the Chaldees and you go into the land I show you, or, or whether it be Jesus, you know, and his disciples, hey, you know, I'm going to be with you, but I'm going to the cross, and, you know, and then he rises from the dead, and then they're standing on that mountain, and they're, they're um, ready, you know, just about to watch Jesus ascend into heaven. And he delivers to us what we call the Great Commission in, in verse 20 of Matthew chapter 28. But what really uh, is in, in our parlance, it's a part of our, our value statement. It's part of our core values, this Great Commission. But let me, let me start back at verse 16 in Matthew chapter 28. It says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So, you know, even then it was just it was a bit of a struggle. It's going to take some courage at this moment because they're at a major moment of transition. I mean, we look back on it and we go, oh, this is so cool. You guys get to be the part of the beginning, the beginning of the church. And all of a sudden, oh, by the way, there's martyrdom out there. I mean, they have no idea what's going to happen. They just know this is going to be really different if Jesus flies, you know, goes back to heaven. And look what it says. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And Jesus, what are you going to do? Where are you going? What are we supposed to do? And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The relationship gets deeper. It doesn't go away. I will be with you you. I promise to be with you. You see, it's because of this, the need to be in moments where all you got is the chance to put your faith and courage, uh, have the courage to put your faith in God, in Jesus, that we don't just have when we become Christians. We need to experience that over and over and over again. And we're not trying to do it artificially, but it's because of all this that we do things like these Frank lists. And they're not the name, a list of people named Frank. They're about your friends and relatives and, if you, and associates and neighbors and coworkers. And if you think of somebody else that should be prayed for, or God's put somebody in your heart that doesn't fit those categories, make up another letter and stick that on there. Frankens, no, don't do that one. Um, but you, that's why we put it, because it takes some faith, it takes some courage to pray the prayer, right? Like, what if God asks me to tell him I'm a Christian? What if God asks me to invite him to a worship service like Easter when they're going to get a chance to receive Christ? Oh, man, they might think I'm weird. Or maybe God's put on somebody on your heart where you're going, you know, I'm fine with that person coming to church, just not my church, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe it's somebody that's like everybody knows that person is so far from God, they are never going to darken the door of a church. They're never going to get together. God's never going get, to get to them ever. Just, oh, by the way, the Apostle Paul, people said the same thing about him. And then he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. I mean, pray those kinds of big prayers. Why? Because you can have the courage and the strength to pray like that because I am with you 
is what he's telling Joshua, what Jesus is telling the disciples. And by having this in his words spoken to us, it, we've already seen that we're all his friends. We're not just his servants to do his stuff. We're all his friends. And he's told us everything we need to know. Maybe not the questions we all, all the questions we have, but we don't need to know those right now to do what he's asking us to do. You see, this is so important to just sort of pull back a little bit here during Easter week, during Holy Week. And remember the courage that it took for Jesus to start this all. Remember the story of Jesus? Uh, he actually literally descended down into a valley and up the other side to get into Jerusalem when, when, in his triumphal entry. The week before he was crucified, when he knew in his own heart that what was ahead, and he knew that these people that were cheering him right now in a few days would be calling for his death, at least some of them. Here's Here's what happened, and, and, and look what, how, how Luke puts it together, because something different happens at the end of this story in Luke. In Luke 19, it says, When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace, there it is, in heaven and in, in glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees and the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, I think he said this with a smile, by the way. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. But then his mood changes. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, he's speaking of Jerusalem, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. You see, it's the matter of having the courage to open your eyes and saying, God, I don't feel you. You feel a million miles away, but I know you're here because you said you are. I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to pray this prayer. I'm going to pray for others to come to know you, my loved ones, my friends, people I know. I'm going to pray that you show me what you have next for me in my life. That I don't need all the details. I just need to know what's Point me in the right direction and pray big and pray ahead of time saying, here's a, here's a big prayer, a courage prayer. God, I'll do whatever you want. My answer to you is yes before you even lead me and tell me. I'm just asking for you to lead me and tell me. That's pretty big, right? Because you've got to trust, you've got to be all in with him that he knows what's best for you, and that he will never overburden you beyond what you can handle, and he will always share the burden with you, according to the Scriptures. I'm going to call the band out here and suggest that you do that kind of praying this week. This is my big challenge for Holy Week, okay? As, as we've seen what Jesus did during that week in terms of the courageous steps that he took, one after another after another, I'm suggesting you have courageous prayers, one after another after another, that you noodle around in your heart. Maybe you, you, God's already shown you something that he would like you to consider. And it's, it's not as big as going to the cross, I'm quite certain. But he's noodled around. Maybe it's something amazing, but you just didn't know if you could step out on it. Maybe... Maybe it's something like committing to a ministry. And I know that word commitment takes a lot of courage today. Maybe it's a ministry here. Maybe it's launching into a ministry and starting one that, that's not existent yet, but he's put it on your heart and you've thought about it, but you kind of buried it under all the busyness and all the other stuff and, you know, gotten, gotten that out of the way. Um, or maybe it's... Um, 
that proposal that he wants you to make. Or maybe it's just letting people know at work or at school that you are a Christian, actually, after all. That's a, I know that takes courage nowadays. Or maybe it's um, something as simple as this. Maybe you're in a place right now where you go, you know what, I really haven't been following him. Not at this level. I mean, I've been believing, but hasn't really, haven't done anything about it. That's really not believing in this sense. And maybe you just say, God, I don't have all my answers to my questions, but I do know this for a fact. Lord Jesus, I want to follow you. And you start praying those kind of prayers. Those are big prayers. And God loves to hear them, and he loves to answer them. And you know what? I think what God would want to say in all of this is, go big, pray big, trust big, and I will be there because I'm big. Let me pray for you as we do that, would you? And me too. Heavenly Father, I pray that this would be the days when we would move forward with you and take those steps and have that courage to pray those prayers and ask you to show us the way. And we do say yes ahead of time to whatever it is you say. But as a church and moving in the directions we are, but as individuals too, Lord, I just pray that you would reveal what that is. And as this week progresses, that you would show us your presence by changing lives and saving lives and that some of that change, some of that transformation would be in us, people who are already following you, and that we would have the courage to do it. I thank you that you haven't left us alone. You've given us your word to rest in and experience that peace. You've given us that awe of the wonderland of your word. But you've given us your presence with a capital P that you really are here. Don't let us miss anything else if, we're, if we've missed something. Don't let us miss anything else you're calling us to. Don't let us miss out on one more day of it. And don't let us miss out because we just don't see that you really are with us because we've been blinded by all the scurries and the joys and the sadnesses and all those things of life. Thank you for being here, Lord Jesus. Thank you for being in us and with us and for letting us see it. I thank you for this church and how, in fact, I see this happening all the time, people trusting you this way. And I just thank you that we get to experience that here as a church family. Thank you for being here, Jesus. We pray all of these things in your name. We love you. Amen. <laughs>